Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hey, how you doing? No, seriously, how are you doing? I know it's it's the, at the end of a, another long day. We're almost through another week, but I, I really am concerned with with how you're doing because living life in this culture is hard. Attain, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. Compare, compare, compare. There is so much pressure to do more, to look a certain way, to do a certain thing, to try harder, to get, to go big or go home. And that constant striving is exhausting. That constant striving, that exhaustion disrupts our peace and happiness and confidence and gets in the way of our relationship with God. So I'm really concerned with how you're doing, and over the next 30 minutes, we're going to talk about how you're doing and how God uses the simple and the ordinary for his extraordinary purposes. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold, and I just pray that these next 25 minutes are just a little bit different from the the cycle or the rhythm of, of the rest of your day today. We just have a, a tender moment to share with each other and and be reminded of the plan and purpose that God has for you. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. My name is Ben, and Rachel Adams has written a book. It's called A Little Goes a Long Way, 52 Days to a Significant Life. And like so many people, Rachel questioned her worth, which she based on her contributions as a, as a wife or a mom, a child of God, and she believed that her modest and routine work was insignificant and meaningless. And she needed a reminder that God finds importance and significance even in the smallest, even in the simplest, even in the most ordinary things. And that he multiplies the smallest efforts for his kingdom and his will. Rachel, thank you for joining Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Mm. We're so grateful. I think one of the, the things that I underlined first was... um about the the biblical truth about God's ability to unlock eternal influence when we consistently pursue and obey him, making it more about him. But so oftentimes we like to make it really about us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with us wanting a significant life, wanting to have a life that that matters. I mean, God has us here on earth for a reason. And he does have plans and purposes for us, but most of those purposes involve him and his kingdom and his glory. And so we are a, we are a small piece to a really big puzzle. Um, and, but just knowing that our piece does matter, you know, without our, our little piece of the puzzle, it's not complete. And so every single decision that we make, every single 
thought or behavior, it all impacts, impacts us now. It impacts other people and it impacts um, other people for generations. And we see that all throughout the Bible. If any of the people in the Bible would have made any other decisions, our lives could be very different um, as they are now. And so I think we just need to start to view our own lives uh, in, in that light as well. What we do matters, and especially when we do it uh, for the name and mm. the glory of God. Yeah, Rachel, I love that. You know, and what you say too, if we don't see immediate results in our efforts, if maybe we're making a change or we feel unappreciated or that we're insignificant or we don't matter, we just need to remember that our work is to be done out of our devotion to Him. Absolutely. I, I think so often our work feels unseen or it feels ordinary or routine. And a lot of days, I don't know about you, but it's like, did anybody, did anybody even thank me today? Did anybody even notice me today? And again, it's not really about us, but it is nice to get a, appreciation. But even when we do things and if say somebody, nobody says, thank you. God saw, mm. God knows, God hears, and he is going to use it and he is going to take it a long way. And so I think it's just so helpful to remember that. And just remember that like our whole lives are God's training ground. He's not going to waste any moment or any encounter. Um, he is going to use it in ways beyond what we probably even realize. And I, and I believe that one day when we reach eternity, we'll, we'll see so many of the things that we did that we didn't even realize were actually that big of a deal that really were in his eyes. Mm, isn't that crazy how we do just um, magnify so many things in our head? And I wonder if, if the enemy is the one that poking and picking at those things to make us feel the way that we do, right? Oh, absolutely. I I wholeheartedly agree with that because if the enemy can get us discouraged and defeated, um, then we do nothing at all. You know, if he can keep us in this place like you don't matter, you're unseen, nobody cares, you have no value, you have no worth, then we start to believe that and then we function out of that and we act out of that and we behave out of that mindset as opposed to the opposite of that, what God would say of us, the, the truth instead of all of those lies of the enemy. So, yeah, of course, the enemy wants to. I mean, that's what he did with Eve in the very beginning, Adam and Eve. And he made them doubt um, what God had said about them and who he said that they were and what he had given them. And so if he can do that, he can get us stuck and, and derailed and off track. Um, but the good news is, is we know the truth. We can look in scripture, we can look in God's word, and we can follow after who we are in Christ. We know what our identity is, and so it's time we live like it. Mm, Rachel Adams is on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today on Faith Radio. A Little Goes a Long Way is her book, 52 Days to a Significant Life, a devotion, a prayer every single day to just kind of remind you. And Rachel, it is so interesting because God could do all of this on his own, but he desires to to use you and to use me uh, and he works through those who make an effort for him. And so we should have compassion to help others with with their needs because of our kindness. It can lead other people to Jesus. And when we discount ourselves, well, then that's a roadblock, obviously. And, <laughs> you know, so it, it even just takes like a heart to say, God, use me. How can you, you what do you want me to do? Right. That that surrender. Um, would you explain that a little bit more? Yes, it, it really is. It It is so um, unfathomable that God would want to partner with us, with people like me. I just, I, I will never understand it, that a God as great as our God is 
would use an ordinary woman like me and, and ordinary people like everyone listening. But that's what God has always specialized in. I mean, you look at the very beginning, you look at um, Abraham and Sarah, they were barren and impotent and old. And that's who God chose to create the generations that were going to number more than the stars of the sky and the sand of the um the sand on the seashore. And so that's what he's always done is chosen. Even you look at the disciples, they were 12 ordinary men, fishermen and scribes and tax collectors. And so I think it's, it's because he can get all the glory. And so I love that God has always um, just has a proven track record of using ordinary people and ordinary objects to do extraordinary things, but we get to partner with him and all he requires of us is just to be willing. You know, I think of Jesus's mother, Mary, she was a young, um, a young girl. That's if she really didn't have any special qualifications that we know of that were recorded in the Bible, but she said, yes, she was a willing servant. And that's all that God um, wants of us too. Are we going to obey and are we going to be faithful to do what he's called us to do? I feel like, Rachel, that, you know, um, we talk about this a lot here at Faith Radio, that God gives us a ministry, uh, a calling through hardships and things that you've been through before. So I do wonder, um, it's, I love your passion and I love your heart for this. Does it come out of maybe uh, a point where something that you were struggling for significance? And then, and then if that is the case and that ministry that God has given you, what, what do you want to share with people listening right now? Yeah. And, and honest, if I'm being honest, I still struggle with this. It's yeah. something I'm still living out and I don't do it perfectly. Um, I really, when I was a, I think it goes back to the very beginning. I, I wanted love. I wanted um, affirmation and validation. And so I was seeking that from my parents. I was seeking that from school, from coaches, from my, now my spouse, you know, my, my husband, I was just looking in all these places for validation. And then when I became a stay at home mom, I moved from working in the boardroom to the playroom and, um, really nothing was quantifiable. There wasn't, there weren't many results, um, in, in, in those days, other than me, how many times I was cleaning up Cheerios and changing diapers and, so my husband would come home from work and he would say, Rachel, how are you? And so I would list all the things that I had accomplished that day, you know, just really wanting his, his approval of me. Um, and not that he would, that's not even why he was asking. He was just wondering how I was, but I, I would even do the same thing with the Lord. I would lay down at night and just say, Lord, I, you know, I read my Bible today. I prayed, uh, you know, maybe I wrote a card to somebody like, are you pleased with me, Lord? Which sounds so silly. Um, but I was just almost just wanting his validation too. And so it was just this, ten this tension, this wrestling with the Lord, um, wanting significance. And so I went to his word and I realized after I started studying scripture more and more on this topic that a significant life is actually much simpler and smaller than we think. Oh, I love that. The simplicity and the smaller, because it's almost like that, that ripple of, uh, effect that you, you toss a, a pebble into a lake or a river and, and then God continues to use that and turn it into a tidal wave. But it's up to us to toss that little pebble in first. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And again, it goes back to he wants to partner with us and right. what we do. It really does matter. Um, and so I and I think that, you, you know, you said it earlier. So often we just discount the little we're already doing because we're looking at what everybody else is doing, especially, especially with technology. You know, we can see on social media or on TV or in the movies or in the newspaper or wherever it may be. We see these larger than life, um, live characters and 
things, you know, bigger ministries and bigger numbers and more money and all these things. And it looks so much shinier and so much better. And so we're, we've bought into this lie that bigger is better. Um, but if you really look at the way that Jesus lived his life, he, he, yes, he was a big, mighty, miraculous God um, and worked amazing miracles, but he also walked along the roads and he held children and he washed feet and he shared meals and he attended weddings and funerals and um, taught in synagogues and shared one cup of water with one woman beside a well. And he had 33 years to live here on earth as Emmanuel God with us. And that's how he spent his time. And so if nothing is too insignificant for the savior of the world, there is nothing that is too insignificant for me and for you. Mm, I love that. Rachel Adams is our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today. The book is A Little Goes a Long Way, 52 Days to a Significant Life. There is a, a piece on on online. I just Google God uses imperfect people, and then I click on images and I scroll down. And this is so I, it's so helpful to me. Uh, but Peter had a temper. Jonah ran from God. Gideon was insecure. Martha worried. Miriam gossiped. Thomas doubted. Sarah was impatient. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. Lazarus was dead. Don't. Discount yourself because God wants to use you too. More with Rachel Adams next on Faith Radio. Oh, life can be filled with distractions. I saw a survey that said the average person will look at their phone 320 times a day. This Lent, let's take a moment to step away from all the distractions and let's read the Bible together. You can start this wonderful program called Reading the Bible Together with Us, and you can learn how to better connect with God through His Word and through studying ancient disciplines practiced by Jesus Himself. You can sign up for this free study now at MyFaithRadio.com. Let's spend this season of Lent focusing on our Savior, on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and what fuels our minds and our hearts to be more devoted followers of Jesus. Again, sign up for the free study now at MyFaithRadio.com. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. My name is Ben. And our guest this afternoon is Rachel Adams, and we're having just a really tender conversation. I'm so grateful. This book calls uh, is a little goes a long way. It's 52 days to a significant life, and for for years, still to this day, I struggle with the insignificance or the spiritual warfare or the shame or the guilt that I, I deal with. And maybe you do the same thing. And Rachel's here to encourage us. And Rachel, I, I'm I just. I want to look at day 44 in this book. It's a, a little look is what the title is. Starts off with Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And what a great reminder that God sees and God cares. It's not, it's not one of those things where, um, you know, uh, some people tend to focus on, oh, don't mess up because he's going to get you. He sees everything. But it's, it's that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He cares. And I love this conversation, how you started off with your friend Jill and what you were talking about, how you felt hurt and, and overlooked when people don't even look you in the eyes. I mean, that alone will help you feel insignificant. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my friend Jill, she was telling a story about she was in a, in a big city and she was walking along the street and made eye contact with a homeless man. 
And the homeless man looks back at her and says, and almost in question, like, do you see me? Mm. And she answers back and she says, of course I see you. And he says, no one ever sees me. And I will never forget. It still gives me goosebumps when I, when I even just retell the story today, because we forget about something as simple as looking another person in the eyes, that that can be a big deal to make them feel seen and like they belong um, and even loved. And it's something so simple because how often, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. You know, when we walk by somebody on the street, we look down, but what would happen if we looked up? What would happen if we actually smiled? What would happen if we actually said hello? What would happen if we actually asked a follow-up question? You know, it, and it's, those are something that is so simple when we're at the grocery store or um, walking in our neighborhood or if we're at the cubicle, the person next to us, or just wherever we are, we're all walking around in different areas and seeing different people. And so that's something so simple that we can do um, that doesn't cost anything, but can really make an incredible impact impact. We just will never know. Mm. You know, luckily my friend Jill, she did hear the impact. Um, but, but I just challenge everybody today, me included, take the time to look somebody in the eye, smile, maybe even say hello and see where it goes. Right. That, I mean, the story just hurts my heart. Um, and in the book of Acts, Peter and John were heading to the temple courts when they saw someone who was always overlooked, a lame man being carried to the temple courts where he was taken every day to beg, and when he saw Peter and John, he asked them for money. They didn't ignore him or give him a sideways glance or walk by. Instead, Peter and John looked straight at the man and said, look at us. Mm. You know, the lame man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter told the man, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And it all started with eye contact. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. You know, even even this book is 52 Days to a Significant Life, but the spoiler alert is we are all already significant. It doesn't take 52 days. You know, we are created in God's image. Um, and, you know, you look back at even in Genesis when, when God created Adam and Eve and he looked upon his creation and he said, it's very good. And then you fast forward to the New Testament and, you know, you look at the life of Jesus before he officially had launched into his ministry and God looks upon his son as he's being baptized. And he says, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. And I believe that God is looking down at all of us the same way. We are created in his image. We, he knows the hairs on our head. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are his masterpiece. And I think we forget that. And not only are we his masterpiece, but everybody else is too. And so what is it? What could happen if we start to view ourselves from that lens and then view everybody else from that lens as well? Mm. Rachel Adams, A Little Goes a Long Way is the name of the book. It's 52 days a significant to a significant life in every story. It's about a page and a half or so. The stories are just like the one you just heard where it will make you feel something. It will make you experience something. Sometimes they make your heart hurt. Sometimes they really inspire you and encourage you. But you add at the end of every story, kind of like a little action plan. You call it your little task and then a prayer prompt. Why did you do that? Was that just another step to help us then live out our faith or to feel more significant or to realize um, what you're trying to do basically here is is uh, for us to give ourselves to God and then go out there and make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. For all of those reasons, you know, I know we are all busy. <laughs> we, we don't need anything more to add to our to-do list. I, I fully recognize that. So I really wanted people to start to realize 
and, and value the little maybe they are already doing. You, every one of these 52 devotions, you're probably already doing them. I just wanted to give you the assurance that, hey, look, it actually does make a difference. So I always tell a story from my own life or somebody else's life. I pull it back to the Bible because I always run and root it into scripture. Um, and then, of course, give those little tasks in a prayer because we we need the Lord's help in all of this. We can't do it alone. It's him that multiplies it and it's him that takes it a long way. We just offer what we have in that day. And again, we're just obedient, obedient and willing um, and trust him to use it. Now, Rachel, you know, something that I heard the other day that reiterates this point is it doesn't matter if it's me, you or Ben or somebody that's listening, if you're a school teacher, if you're uh, if you drive a truck, if if you're helping the elderly, whatever it may be, you're helping somebody and you have purpose. So that's the first point I want to make. But secondly, that only happens when you do trust and lean into where God has you, right? If you have an attitude that allows you to flourish and succeed wherever God has you, he's going to use you. But if you don't believe that and you do listen to the enemy, then he's not going to be able to use you in those spots. Would you agree with that, that we need to trust, like you kind of said, him and lean into these roles in order to see the fruit from it? Absolutely. I mean, he, he's the one that's given us the gifts. He's given us the talents. He's given us the skills. I mean, every good and perfect gift is from from him. But I, I really believe he puts people in our lives for a very specific purpose. I know when I think about my testimony, you know, somebody invited me to church. Somebody invited me to Bible study. Somebody prayed for me. Somebody gave me a, a Bible. Somebody discipled me. Somebody taught me. And it didn't just happen by accident. It helped. It had happened because people were obedient and they extended an invitation and they continued to make me feel welcome and they continued to, do, to give of their time. And so I believe that when we encounter people, there's a reason those people are in our lives. And so maybe just every single day, pray, Lord, give me your eyes to see people the way that you do. Help me to respond to the needs that I see in front of me. Um, because we could be that person that leads somebody to have a testimony of their own. Mm. And it starts with the simple things. We've we've had a couple of conversations. We'll have a couple of conversations later on uh, this afternoon about just the simple things and how we uh, question or we kind of, um, I don't know, think that they're insignificant because they're not huge. They're not grandiose. But, Rachel, I do have this question here about somebody who's listening right now who's questioning their value. How can we learn to stop doing that, first of all? And then how do we learn to understand our importance to God? Or how do we believe? I mean, if you listen to faith radio, you go to church, maybe you, you read a devotion like, like this one we're talking about. A little goes a long way, 52 days to a significant life. Or, or whatever you are on the path with God, how do we stop doing those things? And really learn to know and to really value and understand and believe that God loves us like crazy and that we are so important to him. Yeah, I would say you've got to get in God's word and and listen to uplifting messages like you you play on the radio and listen to podcasts and listen to worship music and really just saturate yourself with the truth of God's word, who he says you are and who he says you are to him. And I think that that is, is the basis of, of everything. And then I would say just pray as well, just to, to pray against any attacks from the enemy on your mind and on your thought life, and then surround yourself with really positive influences. 
attend a Bible study, um, get with a group of friends that you know are morally upright, that they can encourage you and remind you of the truth when when you're struggling. But one of my very favorite verses, and it's out of Ephesians 2.10, and it's really one of the basis of this devotional, is that um, we are God's workmanship, which means a work of art or a masterpiece, but we're created to do good works. So yes, you know, part A is, yes, you're significant. I really want to make sure everybody knows you already are. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. You are significant. He loves you and adores you just the way you are. He created you. Um, but then part B of that is, is that we are created to do good works and works is plural. And so it's not just, you know, we don't just do one thing and then we're, we're done. He's got lots of things to, for us to do. And so, you know, in that, I think we, again, we go and we quantify or we rate what good works is, but I think that's what I really want everybody to know, you know, making your bed, that's good works. Sweeping the floor, that's good works. Having a conversation with somebody, that's good works. Sending somebody a text, writing a letter, um, praying for somebody, reading your Bible, that's all good works. It's all good things. And and, and nobody is going to do it perfectly. You alluded to this earlier, but we do serve a perfect God. And that's why we needed a Savior to help us along in this process. Mm. Rachel, uh, Rachel Adams, I'm so grateful. A little goes a long way. 52 days to a significant life. Thank you for the time you shared with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Mm, absolutely. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I just want to remind you, God made you in his image. You are his. Be encouraged and reminded of your true identity with Bible teacher Lisa Harper and encourager Crystal Evans-Hurst when you attend the Set Apart Conference for Women on March 8th and 9th. You can register today at setapartconference.com or at myfaithradio.com. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. My name is Ben, and you are listening to Faith Radio. What do you do with your wants? What do you do with your unwanted wants? AJ Sabota joins Afternoons with Bill Arnold today. Hey, I'm Ben, by the way. He's written this book. It's called The Gift of Thorns. The gift of thorns, Jesus, the flesh, and the war for our wants. AJ, welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Oh, Ben, it's a joy to be with you today. Hmm. So grateful. Uh, my first question is, as I'm reading in your book here, and I'm reading about your book, it says, cultural, spiritual, and relational forces are weaponizing our desires and longings against us. What does that mean? Hmm. Um, well, it means that um, when I wake up on Monday mornings um, and I head into work for the first day of the week, um, I am a very different person on Monday mornings than I am Friday at 5 p.m. when I'm on my way home. And my, the, the, the Monday AJ and the Friday AJ are very different. And what I've learned about myself is that I'm a man of profoundly complex desires some that are good, some that are not good. And if I simply decided today to follow everything I wanted to do, I would end up harming everybody around me. I wrote this book because most Christians do not have a framework to understand what desires to follow and what to crucify. And so we are experiencing an immense amount of pressure living in our world to um, follow all sorts of desires, 
that are wildly harmful for us uh, and for others. Well, AJ, I, th- I find it really insightful because um, you just shared the fact that you struggle with some desires and I struggle <laughs> with some desires. But oftentimes, AJ, I'm I think I'm the only one struggling with those desires. And you look at other, you know, mm. pillars of the faith and yeah. your pastors or your friends or your parents or whoever, and they must be perfect. They're, they probably got everything. Mm. They look like they got everything figured out. But they're struggling yeah. with the same desires too. It's interesting how you 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 how you said that. Uh, and and those desires, especially as Christians, we're going. Hmm. We know what's right and what's wrong, but the world is telling us to speak your truth, follow your heart. Mm. You do yeah. you. Uh, I just I find that so fascinating. Um, well, if if you find that fascinating, <laughs> uh, Ben, then, then you'll love the Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, um, uh, we have so many remarkably honest moments in the Bible where the biblical authors let us into the secret transcripts of their own desires. I think, for example, of that 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 well-read and important section in Paul's letter to the church in Romans where he says, um, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do. Right. I, 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 that I am complete. What I do and what I want to do are just so out of whack with one another. I mean, that is Paul for heaven's sake. And if Paul walked through these kinds of the gymnasium of desire, as Saint Augustine would would call it, then certainly uh, we would as well. I have this experience often. Ben, it's a. I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but it's true. Here's the experience is I will be in a in a room often with a student or somebody I'm shepherding or pastoring. Um, I will be in a, I'm a professor. I'll be in a room with one of my students and I will be invited by that student to share how they can follow Jesus. And, and I get to be in a position of authority and that student is taking it all in. What that student does not know is that most of the conversation is me sitting there um, wondering why God has given me any authority to do this based on who I know I am. And that is, if if this student actually knew how broken I was, mm. they would listen to nothing that I have to say. Mm. Um, that is not me uh, saying that I'm a horrible person who shouldn't be in that position. What I'm saying is, there is not one of us whose entire insides, desires are all over the place. And what we need to do is recognize that Jesus uh, has certain wants for our wants. So what does it look like to to want the way God wants? And, and God has a lot to say about that. The Bible is a story about desire. Ajo Sabota's on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. The book is The Gift of Thorns and uh, Jesus, the Flesh, and the War for Our Wants. Uh, AJ is uh, an assistant professor of Bible and theology at Bushnell University. He also leads a, a doctor of ministry program for Christian formation and soul care at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas. And a- AJ, I'm just... I'm I'm still so uh, drawn to this this what you call the the raging desires within and then the battle kind of that's going mm. on within and I love how vulnerable that you're being because so many of us don't want to let people into the fact that no we do have these struggles that are going on inside of us we want to you know present ourselves as as capable and strong in all of these things um how do you help somebody who like I just shared with you, who feels like they're the only ones going through these things because the devil wants to isolate you and siphon you off, right? Uh, yeah. and, and make you feel that your desires or, or you know, your your shame, your guilt, you're your alone, all of these different things. 
Um, well, let's just take what you just said about isolation and, and run with that for a bit. Let's move the ball on that, on that for, for a few moments. Um, whenever I am in a place in my life where I have the thought, I am the only person who struggles with this. I'm the only person who wants this. I'm the only person who wrestles with this. I'm the only person who dot, 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 dot. Um, there's language in Genesis 4. When, when we experience those feelings, uh, the serpent is sitting at the floor of our front doorstep. Um, sin is crouching at the door. And here's why. The enemy of our souls wants to ensure that we feel as though we are the only person that wrestles with what we are wrestling with and nobody else does. And uh, I think that one of the greatest things I can do as a, as a theologian, a professional theologian, is help people say that even even I, as somebody who every day gets up to you know, study the Bible and teach well and know Christian history and theology, there's not a day in my life that I am not in uh, what David Bennett calls the war of loves. Um, my heart, um, I, in fact, in my in my uh, in in the book in the opening section, I tell a story of sitting one day. I was in faculty a faculty meeting at my university at Bushnell University, and I was uh, deciding, you know what, I have an hour or so. For one hour, I'm just going to write down every desire that comes into my heart. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, Ben. It terrified me. <laughs> For one hour, um, in one hour time, I wanted uh, I wanted a deeper relationship with Jesus. Uh, I wanted more time with my son. I wanted uh, more money. I wanted pizza. I wanted sex. I wanted sales numbers on a pre previous publication. I wanted a better publisher. I mean, in one hour, in one simple hour, my heart, and that was, by the way, I'm leaving much out. Um, because my heart is, is, is a war of loves as are all of our hearts. I think part of my role in this world is to help people recognize that their own war of loves, whatever that war of love may be, um, is not isolated to you. And the worst thing you can do is write yourself off as though you are the only person feeling this and, and you're not, um, it, we are, as a church have, um, 2000 years of history of people who have sought to follow Jesus with intrusive, difficult, swirling desires that are not of God and have faithfully followed Jesus with them. And I, and so I would say, number one, you're not alone. There's nothing more important. I, just, I would say, you're not alone. You're not alone. AJ, you mentioned the example there of just how in one hour you have all these different desires and thoughts going through your mind. It sounds like it takes a lot of dying to self to ever get to the point where you can follow the desires that God wants you to follow. So how do we do this? How do we get that self-control? Is it through reading scripture? Is it prayer? Uh, meditation? What What would you say to somebody who struggles with this like we all do and is wondering what steps they can take to start following the desires that God wants them to follow? Yeah, Ben, ben actually, the, the number one thing I would say, it, it's not going to be, I, I it would not be what you'd expect. I think most people would probably say, um, change your habits, you know, change your behavior and fake it, say, make it sort of thing. Like, like do the behavior and then your heart will follow. And that may be the case in some, some instances. Uh, but what I have discovered in, in my own research and my own, uh, work anecdotally and, uh, just reading scripture, um, is, is the, is the simple power and discipline of confession. When I, um, th this is why so many people find so much value in sitting in front of a therapist um, who who is paid to literally just listen to you talk. And by the way, there are good therapists and there are bad therapists, just like there are good pastors and there are good uh, bad pastors. Um, I'm, I'm not saying all therapists are good. I'm not saying all pastors are bad. But 
uh, you know, when you sit in front of a therapist and you just have somebody listen to you for an hour, the healing power that comes with being heard, the, the Bible's word for this is confession. Uh, in 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 the 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 word is homologeo in Greek, which is um, means to literally acknowledge or say the same thing as it's to acknowledge what is true. Most Christians I know who have desires that they know are not aligned with the way of Jesus have no one that they are talking to about this with, and they they lock it up in their heart and their mind, and they don't have any dialogue partner, trusted dialogue partner, who is going to point them to the cross and the way of Jesus. Um, Kurt Thompson is a neuroscientist, Christian neuroscientist, fabulous. I'll, I'll go read everything he's ever written. But he he has been writing recently about what he calls confessional communities, um, which is exactly what AA has become. Uh, and that is a place for you to actually name, you know, your deepest desires, the hearts, the things in your heart. There's so much power in getting to name those things. And in many cases, Ben, the simple power of naming those desires removes their power. Hmm. The things that live in the darkness always grow. They get bigger. And when we lock those desires up and we don't talk to a trusted person with them, um, we put ourselves in a pretty dangerous position. So I'd say, number one, you got to have somebody who you know is going to trust you, to, who's going to be trustable, to point you to the way of Jesus, uh, who can handle your deepest desires and steward them with you. For goodness sakes, there's nothing worse than carrying them all by yourself. Mm. Is that like a spiritual advisor or a pastor or you mentioned a therapist? Mm. Mm. Um. If, if you'll notice, I, I think all of those um, play uh, integral roles in one's life. Um, the, the goal, of course, is when, when you share the deepest desires of your heart with somebody, it's very important that you're submitting those desires to somebody who is going to point you in the right direction. I, I actually, in, in some respects, think that we've become such an affirmative culture in all things that if, that if we confess to somebody like, hey, I've got this desire for this, and we just, we're so darn sycophantic. We're, we're so uh, affirming that we just sort of like are applauding people to jump off a cliff. And there's a danger in affirming something that somebody is seeking to crucify. If I'm affirming something that somebody needs to crucify, the blood is on my hands. And so so I, I think I would just say it needs to be somebody, um, Ben, that you know can hear what you have to say, but is going to point you to the cross. And so that might be a therapist that loves Jesus. It may be a pastor. It may be somebody in your small group. It may be a friend. But who you confess those things to is often as important as the fact that you're confessing them. Because I don't, I don't listen, if I'm sitting with my spiritual director or my therapist, and I tell them about a desire in my heart to want to leave my family and just go make a bunch of money, if they affirmed that in me, um, ah, man, I have put my stuff in the wrong hands. Right. Um, I need to make sure that that person is pointing me in the right direction. That is dangerous. Ajo Sobota, Dr. Ajo Sobota, um, assistant professor of Bible and theology at Bushnell University. He's also written this book called The, the, the Gift of Thorns, Jesus, the Flesh, and the War for Our Wants. He called a war of loves battling inside of you. And coming up next on Afternoons with Bill Arnold, I'm going to ask AJ uh, how we can understand, how we can discern which desires to crucify and which ones to nurture. Those desires that that he talked about over the last hour, and maybe you're feeling them over the, the last 15 minutes of this conversation. Which ones do you crucify? Which ones do you nurture? Next on Faith Radio.
Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. If you have questions about Jesus or want to chat with someone about it, text FAITH to 41224. That's text FAITH to 41224. And God bless you. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desire. Hi, I'm Ben on Afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Listener-Supported Faith Radio, and we're talking to Dr. A.J. Swoboda, an assistant professor of Bible and theology at Bushnell University, with this new book called The Gift of Thorns, Jesus, the Flesh, and the War for Our Wants. And we're talking about desires. And A.J., which desires did God place in our hearts at creation, and why did he do that? Yeah, well... um, Let's let's first just acknowledge that um, the the church we we can often um, have a an oddly negative hostile view towards human desire and that what I mean when I say that is that we assume that all human desire is bad evil wrong and that if you want something um, you you probably that's just the flesh speaking. Well, a, a caricatured understanding of the of human desire like that completely neglects the fact that before humans uh, uh, sin, Genesis three, the fall, as it's called, were made with human desires. That that what that means is, uh, yes, our human desire is broken, but it was originally created good, and 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 we we need to distinguish the difference between human desire. Which is God, godly, good desire, and what Paul calls the flesh or the sarks. Um, they're not the same thing. God gave humans good desires. In Genesis one and two, we're told that the humans were given the ability to name the animals, whatever you want to name them. God, God tells the man, uh, desire to rule and reign in the Garden of Eden under the rule of God, um, to cultivate, to garden, um, to have kids, make love. You know, all these things. These are God-given desires. These are good desires. They all are twisted after Genesis 3. I define the flesh as God, as human desire separate from the sustaining presence of God. The flesh needs to be crucified, but our good desires need to be nurtured. And unfortunately, we tend to confuse the two, and we end up trying to kill the very thing that God is trying to heal. And so good desires are, 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 are to be nurtured and cared for and loved and, 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 and served, while our fleshly desires are to be uh, are to be, uh, as it were, uh, to be crucified. So Christianity is a movement of desire. It, it believes in a God of desire who created the world out of desire. And we are made in the image of God. We're image bearers who are, are in, in, by God to be uh, people that desire. We are not made to be desireless creatures. To be a Christian should be the most wanting creature on the planet. It, not the most fleshly, the most wanting. That we we have tapped into a restored uh, vision for human uh, flourishing. So learning the difference between the two is difficult, um, but we need to understand that God created us to want. God created us to want. Hmm. As we battle the war of loves, um, and you just said the discerning between the two of which desires to crucify, which ones to nurture, how do we do that? Hmm. You said it's hard. We have, I don't know, 10 oh, minutes, yeah. five, 10 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, the one original, one one big problem in the, in this in this conversation is um, that our own sort of post-Christian secular uh, culture has just offered such paltry and pathetic advice on this answer. I mean, I, I, 
the the very notion of the phrase you do you hmm. um if i took that phrase and applied it to um uh, applied it to um some one person that may be a good thing but if we apply you do you to hitler um 20 million people die um you do you only works to the degree that we have a rubric for what is good and bad and if you don't have a rubric for what is good and bad, you do you could be an invitation to serve your neighbor, and it could simultaneously be uh, an admonition to uh, somebody that wants to kill somebody, go and do what you want to do. So so unless we have some rubric, what is a rubric? I'm an educator. A rubric is uh, basically the outline of how you're going to pass this assignment. What are the things you need to do? If you don't have a rubric, you can't grade, and you can't grade human desire on what is good and bad, unless you have a rubric. Um, a great example. I mean, it's so weird. You know, we've we've unhitched so much from uh, sort of a, a, a kind of Judeo-Christian ethic in our, in our culture, at least where I live in the Pacific Northwest, um, that in, in my environment, right, it is ethically wrong for you to plagiarize a paper. And we are just so committed to that. Like plagiarism is evil and wrong. And by the way, plagiarism is bad. You shouldn't plagiarize. But you got to ask yourself the question, why, why is that wrong? And there's no you know, biblical commandment about plagiarism other than stealing. Maybe that would be uh, the closest one that you got. It's, it's almost as though our culture just has this, this ethic that's rooted out of experience, but it's not rooted in anything that's objective, as it were. And <clears throat> I think most, most, much of our culture's ethics at this point is just unrooted from, d disconnected from a biblical understanding of truth. That it is pure subjectivism. And goodness gracious, if you're going to say you do you to a serial murderer, you are affirming somebody to do something that is going to hurt countless people. So listen, unless – so how do we know? Goodness gracious, I'm going to sound um, old school here. It's almost like we need the Bible. Um, right, because right. at the end of the day, unless you have an objective ethic outside of yourself, um, there's no guardrails. There's no boundaries. Even if we're taking these steps and doing this as Christians, too, in a smaller setting, that is worthwhile and getting things back to the way they should be, which is in uh, a line with the Bible. So it might feel insignificant, perhaps, at the time, Dr. Swoboda, but if we're doing it, we're making a difference, even if it doesn't feel like it, correct? I think any human being, what, what is the kingdom of God? That, that's an interesting question. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is is arguably the most important theme in the New Testament. It's arguably the most important theme in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew's Gospel, for example, the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth, as he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then the first words out of Jesus's mouth in his first sermon in Nazareth is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In both words, it, the the kingdom of heaven is, is central to, to Matthew's Gospel. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Um, there's a guy named Dallas Willard, whose I think definition of the kingdom of God is the best. Uh, and he defines the kingdom of God as the effective range of God's will. And what that means is, is whenever human beings choose to do whatever God wants, not what they want, but whatever God wants, that is to say that when we subject, when we submit our own desires to God's desire, you know, I may want this on Monday and want something else on Friday, but that is not my final desire. My final desire should be thy will be done, whatever God desires. And when I actually do that, when a human being in the world says, God, your desires 
are more important than my desires, and we actually live under what God says, that is the moment the kingdom of God comes in a, in a unique way. And so does it heal the world, to your point? Whenever a human being submits their own desires to the desires of God, it brings life to this planet in, in innumerable ways. It brings life to relationships. It brings life to our bodies, souls. Yes, it begins the healing of the, the world. So when we, I mean, the, the idea of this is just individualistic and it just affects me. No, 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 no. When I choose to submit my de desires to God, it blesses my son like crazy because he has a dad who's present, who's loving, who's kind, who's generous, who isn't a different person at work than he is at home. It's a blessing to everybody. So yes, it heals the kingdom, heals the world. Dr. Adrian Svoboda is a guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today on Faith Radio. We're down to like three minutes, Dr. Svoboda. And I just speaking of desires for the last 20, 23 minutes or so, I had a conversation a couple of days ago with somebody who was near tears, um, just heartbroken because they were losing their desire for God. What would you what would you say to them? They were terrified, really, um, that it was that God was just slipping away because they, yeah. they, and they use yeah. the word desire. Um, yeah. What would you say? Well, um, I would say the same thing that I would tell somebody who is in pre-marriage counseling. Um, any marriage likely has a really awesome and fun honeymoon. And then you come back from the honeymoon and about two or three years later, uh, you look at your spouse and you begin to realize, goodness gracious, do I feel differently today than I did during my honeymoon? And you love them and, and you love them, you know, hopefully you love them real well, but the emotions change. I think for most Christians, when you, when you first start following Jesus, you have all the honeymoon feelings and those are beautiful feelings and they're good. But there comes a point when it's no longer you running on honeymoon feelings, it's you choosing to walk in love, not in how you feel. And I would say that the mark of true love any marriage that's going to last, the mark of true love is not that I have a continuous ongoing feeling of honeymoon love. It's that actually I've moved on from the honeymoon love and I'm into a love that's deeper than how I feel. Ultimately, I think one's love for God must transcend how we feel from day to day in as much as my love for my son or my wife transcends how I feel on Monday or Friday. So mm -hmm. in a weird way, if I were sitting with that person you were talking to, I would ask, is it possible that this is actually a sign that you're maturing in your faith? Mm, I love that. Dr. Adrian Soboda is our guest. He's written this book, The Gift of Thorns, Jesus, the Flesh, and the War of Our Wants. He also co-hosts a podcast with Dr. Nijay Gupta called Slow Theology Podcast that so many people here at Faith Radio just rave about. Thank you, Dr. Soboda. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.